Hello and thanks for tuning in to Straight From The Hot Tap. This is a brand new podcast which, as you'll find out in the next hour or so, or until you turn it off and go back to watching cat videos on YouTube, is utterly pointless in nearly every respect. This is four old school friends, an engineer, a Hollywood writer, a resting actor and a middle manager reminiscing about a place called Taunton where we all grow up. This weird sort of love letter to a place you generally bypass on the way to somewhere better will at best give you a reason to keep on driving. You will hear us cast our memories back to a place we all met, grew up and escaped from, yet for some reason it holds some affection for all of us. There is no deep meaning to this. Minimal cultural reference. This first episode straight out of Taunton puts the administrative centre of the county of Somerset front and centre as some sort of metaphor for that place you grew up in, yet long to leave. Consider it a Des Moines, Illinois or a Dawson's Creek, somewhere you only value once you've left for somewhere else. I'm Matt. I'm Johnny. I am Josh. And I'm Matt. And this, and is, this is Straight, straight from, from the Hot Tap. As we become adults, but, but are still mentally trapped in the 1990s, this is our reflections on, on life. So I guess it's a good, good opportunity, Zanny, to introduce ourselves to our millions of listeners. Well, I think one of the reasons we're doing the podcast, we should probably introduce ourselves as this group of school friends have come together to do this podcast. Josh, when are you going to use the words Top Gun and actor and maverick? <laughs> I'm just getting to that. As a leading light in the field of, uh, of modern entertainment, yeah. and you look back on your life and you look back on yeah. the friendship of us four people. What are you taking away from those early years when we first met? Dead legs, dead arms, <laughs> you know, some <laughs> defiled <laughs> folders. Dead airtime. You know, some anxiety about being the victim of a brutal prank or two. <laughs> A fear of flying cushions and pylons. But, you know, just generally a lot of great memories. <laughs> so, so, John, are you born and bred Taunton? Are you brought up in that area and it's no. always been home for you? Well, mine was a nomadic childhood, Matt. But I came to Taunton when I was about seven and a half, I think. And we <laughs> came from Sydney. So there was a little bit of a, a, a sort of similar style of downgrading going on. And, um, <laughs> but, but why Taunton? You know, it was my personal life choice of uh, wanting to commit to my family unit as my dad's job took him there. Sydney to Taunton. What are your <laughs> defining memories then of that period when you, when you left the bright lights and the blue skies of Sydney and landed in East Street? Um, I think my, my, the few memories I have are fairly... I have few memories of it, really. I mean, it just sort of blends into itself. But I do remember being welcomed to Taunton School where we all met with a barrage of abuse and questions for why I had square shoes and why I had different marbles to everyone else. What were these square shoes? Was this, was this an Australian thing, Johnny? Were they sort of on vogue in 1980s in, in Sydney? I'd like to think it was some some like very rich cultural sartorial seam that we'd uh, dug into in Sydney. But I think it was probably just most uh, orthogonally correct-looking shoe my very strict and uh, well-organized and efficient father could identify <laughs> you know i've read wild swans and that's nothing on what i had to go through taunton's a, a strange place isn't it how would you describe taunton then to, to somebody that had never been there for me one of the things i'm hoping to get out of this podcast is to is to re-familiarize myself with the details of taunton that i've forgotten and try and supplant the details of just gray sort of ordinary misery that I now have of Taunton, and to try and find some good in the place I spent several decades. 
I don't have any really clear memories of, yeah. of the town itself. I yeah. have one very clear memory, which was the very first place I went to when when I went there with my mum when I heard my dad had got a job there. Yeah, and we went for a day trip, and we had a, a coffee in a little cafe by the River Tone, and I had yeah. um an, an avocado sandwich, I think. An orangina. <laughs> um, I, I remember having an orangina. <laughs> I do remember having an orangina for some reason. It just stuck in my head that. <laughs> I doubt there was an avocado in Taunton at that point in time, to be fair. <laughs> I, although, can I segue a story that I heard about? This is a true story of someone I know who lives in Scotland, in the sort of highlands of Scotland, in the middle of nowhere. This is like sort of 10 years ago or something, so not in the too distant past. And she was in a, the local village store and she was she was just you know getting a paper or something and there was someone at the counter asking the lady behind the counter she was like he was like what what's this then she was like oh i don't know that's this new uh it's this new vegetable we've got in it's called um it's called an avocado (laughs) (laughs) josh you had a fairly circuitous route as well didn't you when i I came to taunton first you weren't there you were at millfield or uh, edgerly hall wherever it was yeah, I was born in Bahrain, and then um, and I, no, so basically, I'm not from no, I'm not from Somerset, I'm not from that area. Those, and then I lived in Saudi Arabia a bit after Bahrain, and then um, moved back to England when I was probably about six, back to to Sussex, where my mum is from originally, or her side of the family. Lived there for a couple of years, and then moved, and I don't really know why exactly. I think my you know my parents just they were just interested to move out that that way, and they moved to Somerset. Yeah, that's how it all all started. So. Yeah, not, I'm not from there. I've got no family there. And obviously my, my family aren't there anymore either. So I'm kind of... We're all Taunton immigrants. We are. That's interesting. We are actually all Taunton immigrants. So I was um, brought up in a really, really small place. We lived between the Isle of Wight and <laughs> a school in, in, in Somerset called Downside. We lived on site there for quite a few years. I remember Downside. I just remember all the monks just sort of darkly passing through the corridors. <laughs> it was quite sort of foreboding place, actually. Matt, can you can you just remind me of that story that I just I love that story because your dad was a housemaster there, wasn't he? So like, what was the one where your dad used to you know there was like parents' days and he used to have a there used to be a barbecue and you stitched him up. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. So the boarding house at Downside was quite different because it was basically a giant bungalow. It was very strange. It's hard to explain, but it was sort of a long, thin bung, <laughs> almost like a, a military barrack of some sort. So my parents' house was was attached to this sort of long line of, of, of dorms. So we used to have this summer barbecue every year. Um, and we'd invite everybody around and we'd get this big half-oil drum barbecue going. And he, he used to make his own elderflower wine and, and homebrew beer. <laughs> and we'd have to, have to have a few monks uh, around and, and all of the boys and some of their parents. And, uh, and, um, <laughs> it was a proper you know, old-school wood, yeah, wood-fired barbecue. And my dad used to use this um, this watering can to um, to quell the flame. So it was a, if it got a little bit feisty, and, and the sausages, <laughs> the, the proper sausages, were starting to get a, a little blackened. And then my dad used to sprinkle a little bit of water on on the, on the fire. And I was at that age, I guess, where I used to maybe show off a little bit. So I, I thought I thought a, a nice prank would be to just sneak into my my dad's garden shed and um, <laughs> put a bit of petrol from the, <laughs> the lawnmower into this watering can um, so of course I, at this stage I, I must have been maybe eight or nine I, I had no idea of how flammable petrol actually was so my dad was there chat, chatting away flanked flanked around the barbecue by these couple of monks and a couple of 
fee-paying parents <laughs> and, some, and some kids from various different parts of the UK and overseas. And, uh, a bit of a flair came out of a, of a slightly fatty sausage and went to, <laughs> to dampen the flames only to find <laughs> that his whole world caught fire. Golf, <laughs> so so the, the fire... The fire went straight out the barbecue, straight into the watering can. <laughs> it was like some kind of flamethrower. And in, in, in panic, he just launched the, the watering can into the hedge. <laughs> of course, the hedge then went up in flames as well. <laughs> so, so <it's> sort of <laughs> fairly middle class, fairly genteel Sunday afternoon turned into a fight for life or death. <laughs> it was like it was like a so, like a flare in the golf. Telling yeah. all your life. The best part of the story was that my dad. <laughs> my dad actually blamed my mum for it um, because my my dad assumed completely wrongly that a, a nine year old boy wouldn't have the. The imagination or the, the wherewithal to, to prank in such a dangerous way, oh, and assume that my mum had been um, filling the the, the lawnmower oh, so with the uh, watering neck. can and left some petrol in the bottom of it. My dad only only actually found out the truth something like twenty years later when we were having a another family barbecue, ironically, with um, with my in laws, and my mother in law mentioned this story, and it was completely news to my. My dad and, and my mum and this, this argument had been festering for twenty years and my parents. I love it. Oh man! So, yeah, that was a fun day. Yeah. Matt, my my first memories of you are really quite vivid. My my, my mother always used to say that Matt, you looked like you'd forgotten to take the coat hanger out of your jacket. Oh, you, you know, obviously, uh, had had a certain frame. And I just remember your hair. Your, your hair. You had a lot of gel in your hair. Yeah. It was, it was slicks right back, and, and he talked with a sort of London accent. And I was, I was just really intrigued by you when you first walked into the classroom. And then I also remember you were you being a really avid reader. Yeah. And, and you bring in the, the Godfather, the, the, one of the books into the classroom, and, and, and we were sort of reading some of the, 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 the juicy bits in the, in the Godfather. Do you remember this? Yeah, I remember there was an incredibly graphic uh, sex scene at the beginning. Is it in the beginning of your friendship? the beginning of Godfather, <laughs> Where uh, S- Sonny Corleone has sex with one of the bridesmaids before his wedding. Uh, yes. And I remember we all read it and then he got confiscated or something. Wow. Yes, that's right. Yeah. By Mr. Pugh. Do you remember? Remember, you, you, know, you used to have a lot of knowledge on, on film and video games and all this sort of stuff that, that we didn't really know about. Yeah. I remember arriving in Taunton was quite a shocking experience. It's sort of like, I guess, how. Maybe in like the first century AD, if you were like a, a Roman centurion and you pissed off the wrong senator, you might be exiled <laughs> to some kind of like remote fort on the Pannonian front or like Germania or something. I remember just this process of astonishment at how different it was that took about two years to complete itself because it was so completely like, I don't know if you guys remember back then, the early 90s, Taunton was far less in the mainstream than it is today. I feel like that was just true of our childhood in general, especially obviously you having come from London and, and us growing up there, because now I, th- I feel like everyone's so connected in terms of even you know, popular culture, fashion, whatever it might be. And I, th- I feel like we were quite isolated in a way. 
where we were then. I feel su- super sort of unstreetwise and stuff. You know what I mean? And and I don't know. I remember one of my, yeah one of my first days in Taunton, driving down the main street, and my aunt who was who who lived in Somerset, pointing out the McDonald's like it was like a huge deal. Like we've got a McDonald's now. And I remember thinking really clearly at that age, if you've got a McDonald's now, what was it like before the McDonald's? Well, we had county stores, Matt. So. Well, because I just, I just remember everything being this unbelievably grey colour. The McDonald's was so crazy because it was like bright red and yellow. And I just remember it was like this amazing moment of like clarity. I got at age 12, like I've really moved somewhere where things are very, very different. And the honest truth is, you know, now that I like look back on it and everything, that's 30 years ago. This is the actual truth. But I never actually got over that specific move. Like I never dealt with how crazy that move was right up until now. Really? Yeah, because it was like a transformative moment for me because it was so different. And I've made loads of moves since then that have probably been way more different. Like I, I lived in the Amazon rainforest for a bit. That's pretty different. And now I live in the United States, which is extremely different. But that move from London to Taunton was the biggest thing I think I ever did. So Josh was saying about how he broke down on the A303. I remember getting a bunch of WhatsApp messages from Josh. I looked at the WhatsApp photos and it was Taunton School and the King's Arms, all in this very beautiful late afternoon sunset light. And I remember, and I just got this awesome wave of nostalgia looking over these places. And these places had all been very important in my, like, growing up to become an adult. Like, Mm. there's been many experiences that I've had that have made me an adult, or as many of my ex-girlfriends would claim, not an adult. These places, like the King's Arms, played a, a huge role in that journey. And it's kind of like we all have this like cosmic linkage to these very odd, the King's Arms is a rundown pub, yet it was very important in all of our lives, you know? For me, the King's Arms, it, it was a, obviously a, a pub that, 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 that frankly served underage drinkers. Let's not beat around the bush. Well, frankly, Matt, if we're not beating around the bush, I think we should just be really clear about it. Yeah. Yeah, not exclusively. It wasn't just a pub for children. Um, it served underage drinkers and pedophiles. Yeah, uh, and it served underage drinkers with the help, Matt Beatty, I think we can probably reveal this now, with the help of your fake IDs that you, that you turned out. Yeah. Well, yeah, we, we all lived in fear. One of the great fears of, of being 17 around that time was was that question, wasn't it? It was, can, can I see some ID, please? Because even though you'd worn your, your smart shoes and, and, and your shirt and, you, and you'd practice what you were going to say and you walked in with, with, with all the confidence in the world, the, the minute you, you looked at the bar tender and they gave you that slightly quizzical look, your pants used to soil a little bit. You're, you literally were just a pimply fucking sixteen-year-old. Yeah, it was, and your whole night was your whole night was wrecked, wasn't it? Let's face it. You know, you, your whole all your plans were out the window because if you weren't getting served, nor was anybody else, unless somebody was actually eighteen and can prove it. So, so the fake ID, and and, and to this day, I, I I can't remember how I managed to come up with the the, the templates and designs, but um, but they they, they saved us many a. Many an uncomfortable conversation, I think. Yeah, it's impressive. You were kind of an ID factory, I remember, Matt. 
I did, yeah, I did. I, I did have a little production line. I think you, you guys probably got them for free, but I made a bit of money off some of the others as well. I'm sure you did. So this part of the show is called Matt's Rants. Uh, Matt generally has an opinion on the world and everything in it, um, and this is his opportunity to tell us all at great lengths and in great detail what's been bothering him. Uh, so Matt, what's been getting on your nerves this time? Wow, well, you're talking about a, a time unprecedented in recent human history in terms of things to be angry about. I mean, we're living in a time when coronavirus has ground the world economy to a halt. 35 million people unemployed in this country. That's more than half the population of your country. People are angry. The George Floyd protests have really changed the face of how we think about race. They've made a lot of people aware that they've been living in a lifestyle of like structured racism for for years but i think that what like that stuff is all very important to be angry about but what i think has made me particularly like more angry than any of that if i had to come down on something something that makes me just lose my temper whenever i think about it it's very simple Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> Is it because it's not Ben Thornton? Should a 50-year-old man be really into Star Wars? I mean, look, let me put it to you this way. When I, I love Star Wars... Okay, let me just stop you from jumping in right there and getting angry. I love Star Wars. It's an awesome movie. It's like, you know, there's like Walker things on the ice planet. And there's the space chases and, you know, the X-Wing fights. I used to have one of those. And, you know, Luke and Han, Han Solo and shit. I mean, that's some cool sci-fi action, right? The Stormtroopers. Who doesn't like that? Yeah. I love Star Wars when I was eight years old. <laughs> <laughs> so don't you think it's kind of annoying if you're like a 50-year-old man and you're talking about, like, wouldn't it be cool if there was a show called tie fighter about a pilot squadron of tie fighters <laughs> or like in conversation with your friends and you're talking about a spin-off series about chewbacca <laughs> don't you think it's symptomatic of everything that's wrong with the kind of <laughs> modern age emasculated infantilized male star wars you know, there's, you know marvel movies you can forgive them i mean if people like Mar marvel movies you know that's one thing, but Star Wars, like if you if you spend your days like thinking about stormtroopers, sorry, what is different to Marvel because like Marvel superheroes, all that stuff is like comics have been around since you know hundred years or whatever. But I know people who are like fifty years old who will sit around and spend their evening talking about Star Wars, and don't you think that's what's fucking wrong with everything? <laughs> I'm going to take issue with this, Matt. I think. I think... Is it not pretty harmless? Do you, not think, do you not think that being a 50-year-old man and losing yourself you know, and, and your troubles in, in celluloid for, for a few hours is, is perfectly reasonable? Yeah. No, no, no. Hey, hey, dude, I do it every night. Every night I watch the TV show for an hour, yeah? All right? No. But if you're a 50-year-old man and maybe you've got a family, who knows, right? Maybe you don't. And you're talking and thinking about Star Wars every minute of the day because that's a lot of people I'm talking about. 
Is it the excessive nostalgia that bothers you or more that the geekiness of that particular subject? I think it's both all in one go. Because I think it's this like the reason maybe that we're in such a terrible place in the world right now is because people just want to endlessly obsess about their kind of comforting memories of childhood rather than deal with the complex and difficult problems of today's reality. So, so what you're saying, Matt, is that the coronavirus is, has been caused by George Lucas? To an extent, to an extent, our reaction to things like the, you know, the challenges of the present, for example, naming no names, poor leadership in various countries, coronavirus, all this stuff. Don't you think, like, in many respects, like, if we had an outlook on the world that was more about a healthy attitude to the past and not this excessive nostalgia but 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 matt the, the irony is that it's it's actually an attitude to the future it's not josh it's an it's an attitude to the past no it's, it's a present day but a galaxy far far away <laughs> because i'm serious i could get in a conversation about the politics <laughs> of the galactic <laughs> empire within about like five minutes if i if i talk to the right people right now i think the thing about star wars is though that is that i think it's creep from other streams of culture like star trek or you know other pop culture hits they all have their cult followings but for some reason it seems more publicly acceptable to push that geeky Mm. fandom for for star wars and whether it's because it started off as a very mainstream family classic and dads are now passing their memories on to their kids because of the gap between the films and the originals i'm in agreement with you it, it seems like there's carte blanche to to push that geekdom with star wars where for others there's a bit more reservation on, on pushing but it's it. the it's the yeah. it's the like desire of people older than us to obsess about their comforting childhood memories and these are mostly white people by the way mm that I find incredibly uncomfortable. So if you're asking what pisses me off and outrages me right right now, in the midst of the, frankly, craziness of this year, Mm. I would say it's people who like Star Wars. (laughs) Because they are the real problem (laughs) with the world today. Would you group into that, the the fact that they're rerunning Friends on Channel 5? Friends is not the same thing, right? (laughs) Friends is ready. And look, I'm going to be the first to admit it. I love Star Trek. Oh, well, now this is the angle here. Now there's an agenda here. Listen, I'm going to be real with you for a minute. I like Star Trek The Next Generation. It's one of my favorite shows ever. But I don't fucking like, I don't go out for dinner or whatever and get into a conversation about like what John Luke Picard does when he's off duty. Do you know what I mean? Or like, whether Commander Riker and Deanna Troy have ever, like, this is like an obsession that has become, put it this way, right? So the really interesting thing about working in Hollywood as opposed to anywhere else is that it gives you a window on popular culture because you, you have to be aware of it and you have to take it seriously. So trust me, that, like, man-boy obsession is the major cultural phenomenon right now. So, so yeah, that, that's an interesting, interesting take, Matt. I, I find that, that interesting. So, if you ask me what outrages me, I'm outraged by it. In terms of things that really piss you off, it's interesting what, what really gets to people, you know, because 
Personally, the thing that has got to me more than anything else in the, in the last couple of weeks is, is people that get up at five in the morning to go to Primark. I, I just can't deal with that. I just, I just can't deal with that. How, you know, we're under a global pandemic. You know, we've all been locked in our houses for weeks on end. And, and finally, we, we get a little bit of freedom. We, you know, we're told we can see our, our friends in a sort of socially distanced way. We can, you know, spend a bit more time outdoors. Uh, and people, people's first reaction is, right, I'm going to set the alarm tomorrow morning for, for 4am. And I'm going to get up and I'm going to, I'm going to put on my tracksuit and, you know, scrape my hair back into a bun. And I'm going to get in my car and I'm going to drive to Primark. And I'm going to stand mm. in there. That's annoying. Two, two meters away from the person in front and, and the person mm. behind. And, and I'm going to go to Primark. And I'm going to go to Primark. I'm going to stand in a queue for several hours before even opens to go to Primark. I, I just can't get my head around who these monsters are. Seriously. Can I, can I link this back to Taunton, Matt? Please. A, um, a family member of mine mentioned to me about uh, this particular subject. And apparently Taunton, the Primark in Taunton made the national news because... Really? It was used as an example of a town where the people who were queuing for Primark were queuing in an extremely orderly fashion, maintaining good social distancing compared to another place which uh, where they were where they were climbing over each other, popping each other's faces. Oh, look at that! Well done, Taunton. Estate agents everywhere will be delighted. So, so Johnny, how about you? What, what's um, what's ground your gears in the last couple of weeks? Is there any, anything that's triggered you? I'm getting a bit annoyed with with having to shave because I'm just just growing this very rubbish beard, and it's just like I've never grown a beard before. Oh no, that no, don't grow a beard. I don't ever really want to. So, but I'm but I'm finding that I'm just getting annoyed with shaving quite a lot, and as a result, the shaving has become more and more slapdash. How often are we talking? How much shaving are we talking here, Johnny? Is it sort of several times a day, or once a week? I mean, you know, it's only a few times each week. But I just feel in my in my reduced lifestyle, it seems to take up a disproportionate amount of effort and time. There are people out there who who a beard is 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 really the difference between them looking yes. half decent and not. Is there any ever a situation where a beard improves somebody's face? Johnny, can I just halt you with the words of Oscar Wilde? A beard maketh a man. Half as attractive. <laughs> hey guys, listen. Let me just tell you about something. Are you actually eating your lunch while you're talking about? Yeah. Or, you, or don't. When you listen to people eating the lunch on audio, it sounds like they've got a cock in their mouth. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so go, go back to Taunton. Yeah. So. <laughs> Nice segue, segue, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I was thinking, you know, there's a couple of couple of places that that stick in my memory for for Taunton. One of which is one of which is the Museum of Somerset. Do you remember the museum? Have you been to the Museum of Somerset? Do you, do you remember this? I didn't know it existed. You didn't know the Museum of Somerset? You'd never been That's to the Museum of Somerset. No, where is it? Matt, have you been to the Museum of Somerset? Of course, I have. It's one of the only cultural places in Taunton. Do you mean the museum behind the Castle Hotel? Yes, that's the one. Have you been there, Johnny? No, I haven't, no. You haven't been to the Museum of Somerset? Well, here's an interesting question. What would you expect would be exhibited in the Museum of Somerset? What would you imagine would be in there? Something from the Battle of Sedgemoor? Good, yeah. What if I told you that I know one of their main exhibits is a section of Roman pavement? Wow. wow. 
The Romans get as far as taunting. Oh, well, that the Romans built Exeter because, of course, the Roman name for Exeter is Isca Dumnoniorum. So they actually were in our part of the country. But there's no, I think there were some Roman villas in Somerset and obviously both wow. Roman Aquae Sulis. I remember very well from my geography project in the fifth year that Taunton was first founded by King Ein in the early 700s AD and he was a Saxon. And that was the ancestral beginning of Taunton. Wow. So that's interesting. So, so there's plenty to, to learn about in the, in the Museum of Somerset then. I think a Roman road is interesting. So they obviously made that road to bypass Taunton on the way to Exeter, which I think a lot of people do generally. It feels like that's a, a bigger subject. Bypassing Taunton on the way to Exeter yeah. is yeah. obviously like a thing. I, what do they do to get around Bridgewater? I mean, do they just not go there? <laughs> the thing is, what's, what's obvious yeah. is that bypassing Taunton to go to somewhere else has been a thing since at least the Romans. You know, and possibly before in the Bronze Age. Do you reckon dinosaurs, they were kind of foraging for food and took one look at Taunton and thought, you know what, let's go and forage somewhere else. Go and forage in this, in this rainforest that's in modern Sussex. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, you can go and learn all about Taunton at the museum. I think the reviews of the museum are fairly positive, actually, although there's a chap called Jed who who had a bit of a difficult time there, I think. Um, Really? His review on TripAdvisor, Why All the Noise? It's entitled. Um, I've always found museums to be quite fairly quiet places, but but I think maybe the, the Somerset Museum also doubles up as a nightclub or something during the day. It's, it's been created at great expense, and he enjoyed his visit. But why, oh why, do we have to have the sound effects, which can be heard everywhere? Why do we have to have this constant background racket spoiling what would otherwise be a pleasant and enjoyable experience? Jed is a uh, he's not happy with the Taunton Museum. He's sensitive soul. One has to wonder, has Jed ever been in a combat situation? (laughs) (laughs) It wasn't in the the Battle of Sedgemoor, that's for sure. Well, (laughs) I'm just thinking that perhaps Jed was stationed in Kandahar or the Helmand province and was under heavy insurgent fire. And it's left him with profound PTSD so that when he goes into the Taunton Museum, the sound of like simulated Bronze Age tribesmen (laughs) being huts brings back the sound of uh, insurgent AK-47s as they clatter from the mountain ridges above him. And he jumps to the floor, <laughs> dive, dive, incoming, incoming. What kind of sound effects do you think there are in the, in the Museum of Somerset? Yeah, probably there's like a sound of like a, a dinosaur making like a kind of a rumble. There's some Roman like tinkers. The, the sound behind the sound is of a group of actors dying inside. <laughs> having reached the bitter end of their career recording a PR jingle you know your agent calls you up you don't have to audition for this one I've just got you a job you have to travel to Somerset on a Barry's coach and then you just have to you have to interpret what you think a dinosaur would have sounded like on the Somerset level you're obviously the, the expert but like is one of the ways that you get through that experience to just kind of tell yourself, maybe, maybe today will be the day that Steven Spielberg's visiting the Taunton Museum and he'll hear me being a dinosaur. <laughs> yeah, and he just, just can't help but feel moved by my screaming soldier at the Battle of Sedgemoor or my yeah. bad Somerset accent or something. On balance, the Somerset Museum is, 
it's a place to visit. The, you know, the, most of the reviews have been very positive, although there was an interesting one here from a contributor whose name I will reveal shortly. Her comment was, it was dull, dirty, and a place to avoid, just like Taunton itself. Ooh. Taunton and its neighbour Bridgewater are both run-down towns with rubbish strewn streets, closed-down shops, with the odd attractive building amongst all the dross. Oh. I think that's a bit savage, and, and I think... You know, when you look at the name of the person that wrote it, it, it kind of gives you a clue to the mentality. It was written by something called Devon Maid. And as we all know, right. Devon and Somerset are not the best of bedfellows. That sounds pretty uncharitable, considering some of the towns I've been through in Devon. Other places that I remember reasonably fondly, one was Vibery Park. Do you remember Vibery Park? Is that, is that something that holds any affection for you three? Vibery Park I have zero affection for. In fact, I have a distinct lack of affection for it because I always found it to be a horrible urban park, which really resisted the term nice park and really <laughs> the term, what a shithole, I'm never going to the park. And like, quite frankly, I hate it. I always I think that's a little harsh, man. I don't care about being harsh, okay? I cared about what other people thought I'd still be in the Marines. So <laughs> still be in the Marines. <laughs> Be in the Marines. <laughs> I can't see you in the Marines, if I'm really honest, Matt. Well, that's because, Matt, the Marines are undercover and rapid reaction force, and you just can't see them coming and you can't see them leave. So um, <laughs> you, unfortunately, are a civilian, and therefore you don't have don't get it. educated position on military matters. Really? So <laughs> if, if you can't imagine it, you can't be in it. Is that the way it works? The truth is, Matt, you'll never understand the Marines. Just like you'll never understand the reality of killing a man in the dead of night in order to serve your country. <laughs> There's no point in me trying to explain. Oh, yeah. <laughs> There's no point in explaining it. Well, let's see what you know. <laughs> Offline, because obviously broadcasting this to the millions could be Al Qaeda listening in, and I wouldn't want you to blow your your cover, you know, because your your cover story it must be extremely effective because. People walk past you day after day after day, and they'll think many things about you, Matt. But the last thing anyone would think is that there's a guy that's undercover in the Marines. That they wouldn't look at you and think a guy's concealing a large and dangerous weapon. Nobody would think that when they see you, Matt. If you think about it, that's the perfect cover, <laughs> isn't it? See, military. <laughs> but uh, actually, Marcus Truscothic, he, he he's a Taunton hero, one of the greatest cricketers to to play the game in, in England. He, he seems to have been to Vibery Park recently, actually, and you know, he's retired. You know, for those of you that don't know Mark, he had a few mental health challenges in, in the latter stages of his career. He had a bit of problem, a few problems with, with anxiety and stress and so on. But, but he obviously found, found some solace in Vibery Park. And his, his review on, on TripAdvisor, it just says Marcus, actually. So, you know, odds are that there aren't many Marcuses in Taunton. Yeah, I think it's a safe um, bet, Yeah, but his, his review is, is, is entitled Calm and Beautiful. And he had a lovely time walking around the park, relaxing with the scenery and the plants. So, you know, good on him. He's had a tough time facing Glenn McGrath at the Wacker and various other miscreants of the international cricket arena. But he's looking for squirrels and, and also trying not to fall in the river, which I found a little bit disconcerting. That's, you could read a lot into that, to be honest. I, I don't know how easy it is to not fall in a river. You know, it's obviously a challenge for Marcus to, when he goes near water not to fall in it. He is at the crease. Every time he goes near water, he gets a, a, a PTSD flashback to, to seeing Brett Lee steaming in off the, uh, the, the Lord's Taverner's End and in, instinctively ducks and ends up losing his footing straight into the river. It could be linked to his own PTSD. And then obviously 
he's just literally all over the place, walks soaking wet into the Somerset Museum, and someone asks his name, and he, yeah. he just gets an anxiety attack and just says, Jed. Says Jed. And then all he hears are loud noises, and, and then he writes a review of that too. <laughs> yeah, probably all he hears is like the sound of like Bronze Age craftsmen. Do you reckon he, he, does, he can't actually walk at all after all those years of cricket? He can only run in 22-yard stretches. Yeah, quick singles. Quick, he has way. to take lots of quick singles, and, and the, the act of running his imaginary pattern often ends him up in a river. Yeah, I understand him. That's what I'll say to you guys. I understand. But I think the interesting thing about Taunton is that, it's, as we talked about earlier briefly, it's one of those sorts of places where people don't really know about it, but Somerset itself is actually really well known. So Somerset, places like Bath and Wells and Glastonbury and, and, and some of the big stately homes in the area, Exeter, they, they've all featured in, in films and, and television. And you know, there's some reasonably famous people that are either from there or live there. I think any yeah. famous person that's ever sort of brought up in Taunton is um, Jenny Agatha, the, the, the actress. But there's a lot of people from around the area. So it kind of got me thinking if, you know, maybe people are missing a trick by bypassing Taunton on their way to somewhere else. And maybe, you know, if, if we took some of those famous iconic films that are set in other parts of Somerset and, and actually based them in Taunton, it, it could be quite interesting. You know, the obvious one, which just jumps to mind immediately when you say what big film should be set in Taunton. I mean, there's one that just jumps into your mind, you know, immediately. Ben Hur. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it's the obvious movie that just was, you know, it's setting in ancient Rome and ancient Israel was just pretty much yeah. that. They could basically, you could just film it around that piece of Roman paving slab in the Somerset Museum and just use that as the location. Yeah. I, think, I think a chariot race down Station Road would be a sight to behold, wouldn't it? Maybe setting the Colosseum on, on the site of the old cinema. Yeah. I think uh, yeah, know, the, the Taunton Ring Road would be would, would be a lot more interesting if there was a, a coliseum and, and a bit of gladiatorial combat set in the middle of it. Yeah, agreed. I, I think that that's definitely one to look at. Johnny, what have you? What would you set in Taunton if you could put any film there? I've always thought Taunton would be perfect setting, and I, I just hope this hasn't already been done in some sort of unreleased director's cut. But I feel it would be with our upbringing the perfect place for um for for Blade Runner. Um, you know, a sort of like continually reigning dystopian future whereby an ex-master of Taunton School, or maybe not, who knows, it's an ambiguous uh, plot point, goes around <laughs> trying to identify pupils of Taunton School in their current living and working environments. Yeah, and it could be that his uh, his main intention is to, is to shake them down for contributions to the old Tauntonian society. <laughs> uh, I like that. Uh, yeah, that's interesting. You, 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 somebody appears at your desk. Uh, yeah. you, you think it's the, the guy bringing you a, a latte or something, and it's actually the guy from Blade Runner who's that's right. going to ask you for a direct debit for £5.50 for the Taunton Foundation. <laughs> I, think it, I think the backdrop of Taunton's High Street could play well into the alternative future dial of Ridley Scott's original. I think, you know, we could see you know, a sort of futuristic wimpy and a sort of floating hovercraft with the smell of roasted coffee beans advertising county stores. I think it's, you know, it's possible. Yeah. I think actually Taunton, it would have to be really, wouldn't it, some kind of dystopian futuristic place because in many ways it's ahead of its time, Taunton. It went into urban decline well before the rest of the country. <laughs> well, you, Josh, have you got any ideas for the perfect film to set in Taunton? 
We need, we need to work on this, but I was just thinking sort of apocalypse now. So, and Taunton <laughs> is, is pretty, it's pretty obvious, isn't it? I mean, I think you're starting off in Taunton in a boat, like in Apocalypse Now, sailing down the river to, to Bridgewater, where, where you find yeah. the West yeah. Country version of Colonel Kurt. That, that has legs. Yeah. yeah. Personally, I think okay. that, uh, uh, that we, we've ignored a little bit there. We've touched on it a, a little bit, but I think there's a, a bigger focus on the military aspects of, of the Taunton area. And I think a film that, that could benefit from a Taunton retelling is, is definitely Saving Private Ryan. Saving I think, Ryan. I think it would be better called Saving Private Brian, maybe. The saving isn't, isn't from the, the, the beaches of Normandy. It's actually from the bars of East Street. <laughs> I, think, I think Private Brian go, goes missing from Norton Fitzwarren uh, one night, goes AWOL. Pretty important that he's found before things get tasty. A group of soldiers go out around Taunton looking for him around the different bars. I think that there could be an element of leaving Las Vegas, a bit of psychedelia, a bit of a bit of chaos, a bit of the, the hangover in there. You know that sort of slightly crazy element. I like and they're going to try and save Private Brian. I like that. I think that's and, it. And they have some yeah, coming up against the kind of hazards of the high street and East Reach, stopping off at the Weatherspoons for a fight. You'd have to climax in Della's Wharf, wouldn't it? Whatever it's called these days. Climaxing in Della's Wharf is. You know, that was probably everyone's dream back then. <laughs> I bet I bet you've climaxed in Della's Wolf, Josh. I, I, I'm glad to <laughs> report that I, I haven't, no. <laughs> so, Matt, obviously you're a, a Hollywood screenwriter of some repute and have been at the coalface of coming up with all kinds of interesting cinematic concepts over the years. Uh, I know when we spoke you had a, a fairly interesting idea about a, about a potential franchise of this nature. So the concept is, is the movie Ronin. You know, the 2003 John Frankenheimer-directed action movie that people really like. But um, it's, you know, classic chase scenes. De Niro's in it. He exposes Sean Bean. What colour's the boathouse in Hereford? You know, Natasha McElhone's in it. Hereford. (laughs) Hereford, yeah, he pronounces it wrong. The thriller that we know, crazy chase through Nice. Like, the thriller that we know and love, right? Yeah. Only here's the concept. It's just the movie Ronin only it takes place entirely in Taunton. <laughs> okay, so you know the best concepts in Hollywood are the simplest. Yeah, yeah. It's the movie Ronin, only it yeah. takes place entirely in Taunton. So, so Matt, with it, you know, in terms of the iconic scenes from the movie Ronin, how are you going to rework them? Well, it's very simple, Matt. It's very, very simple. Every one of the scenes in Ronin, the movie, the 2003 hit movie Ronin, mm-hmm. you just reshoot them in Taunton. <laughs> that's the whole point it's simple and brilliant sorry, sorry for being you know, a boring busted him up no 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 I, I want to make sure you understand the concept I, 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 <laughs> feel free to ask me questions I, I, I understand the concept I'm just more interested in the details about it, so. yeah yeah, yeah. So, go ahead hit me in, in terms of iconic scenes so the car yeah. chase for example yeah. You know, so. yeah exactly that's a great example of one of the scenes uh, we'll just a read... couple of souped up Vauxhall Novas no, 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 you're, you're overthinking it. It's just exactly the same as the movie Ronin. <laughs> Only in Taunton. Will they land on a bateau mouche in the river town in the middle of the car? <laughs> <laughs> and listen, the brilliance, the brilliance of this concept, okay, this is some of my finest work, right? Because the brilliance of this concept is that it just creates a whole franchise in itself. Because once you've reshot the movie Ronin 
entirely in Taunton. Mm. Obviously, the next movie would be the 1995 Heat. Exactly. Heat. Yeah, yeah. You see? Brilliant. You Brilliant. see how this... And so you'd have, you know, yeah. what if you do got me boxed in? There's a flip side yeah. to that coin. Yeah. Only it just takes place entirely in Taunton. What about Braveheart in Taunton? That would be an interesting... Yeah. Movie, I mean, the franchise could go in any direction. I mean, my personal, like, dream franchise moment would be the movie Man on Fire, which is my favourite movie, by the way. Oh, Denzel Man on Washington. Fire with Denzel Washington, only reshot instead of for gritty, visceral Mexico City, we reshoot the movie entirely in Taunton. <laughs> Could we also have Training Day in Taunton? Oh, Training Day. Yeah, training Day in Taunton. That would be amazing. The iconic East LA Echo Park landscape. Yeah. Maybe, could just be um, reimagined entirely in Taunton. East Reach instead. Yeah, it would just be Taunton. That would fit quite well. Yeah, scene by scene. Yeah. The point of this franchise is that scene by scene, shot for shot, the movies are just take place entirely in Taunton. Some movies would be impossible to shoot in Taunton. No, they wouldn't. You just reshoot them in Taunton. Waterworld. Water yeah. You wouldn't want to reshoot that. You just reshoot it entirely in Taunton. It's simple. It works for any movie. Any movie can yeah. be reshot entirely in Taunton. Alien. How could you shoot Alien in Taunton? You're, <laughs> Matt, you're overthinking it. You're overthinking the concept. Is De Niro on board with this? Of course he, he will be. Once you tell him that... Up. And once you tell him we're reshooting entirely in Taunton, he'll jump jo- with it. Johnny and I, we call Matt Beatty tony sometimes is that what they call an in joke and we yeah it's an in joke and we also abbreviate that to tone and i just Mm. thought we could have a sort of whimsical documentary called tone on the tone (laughs) (laughs) Tone (laughs) like wicker's world yeah like yeah exactly you walk around you know like meeting meeting people doing glass blowing or you know local brewers and you know little interviews it could open with uh, Tone staring at the camera close up going, guys, I'm going to level with you. And then the camera pans right back and he's standing on his own in the middle of the Somerset level. Oh, I love it. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, thanks so much for listening. It can't have been easy. If you enjoyed it, please hit like and forward to your friends or maybe leave us a comment. If you didn't, well, I'm sure you can find some amusing dancers on TikTok to waste your time next time around. This Utter Shambles was brought to you by Moran's Restaurants in Westwood Ho, the best place in Devon and probably the southwest where you can eat authentic Thai food, drink espresso martinis and enjoy world-class service with Frankie and her crew. This is straight from the hot tap. <laughs> <laughs>